Hi, welcome to History's Great Speeches. I'm Charles Featherston, voice artist, narrator and compiler of the series. Please like or subscribe and feel free to contact me via Bandcamp, Podbean, Facebook or Patreon to let me know speeches or time periods you'd like to see covered. You can find a full set of links at my website, charlesfeatherston.uk. Daniel O'Connell, Justice for Ireland, 1836 It appears to me impossible to suppose that the House will consider me presumptuous in wishing to be heard for a short time on this question, especially after the distinct manner in which I have been alluded to in the course of the debate. If I had no other excuse, that would be sufficient, but I do not want it. I have another, and a better. The question is one in the highest degree interesting to the people of Ireland. It is whether we mean to do justice to that country, whether we mean to continue the injustice which has been already done to it, or to hold out the hope that it will be treated in the same manner as England and Scotland. That is the question. We know what lip service is. We do not want that. There are some men who will even declare that they are willing to refuse justice to Ireland, while there are others who, though they are ashamed to say so, are ready to consummate the iniquity, and they do so. England never did do justice to Ireland. She never did. What we have got of it, we have extorted from men opposed to us on principle, against which principle they have made us such concessions as we have obtained from them. The Right Honourable Baronet Peel opposite says he does not distinctly understand what is meant by a principle. I believe him. He advocated religious exclusion on religious motives. He yielded that point at length when we were strong enough to make it prudent for him to do so. Here am I calling for justice to Ireland, but there is a coalition tonight, not a base unprincipled one, God forbid. It is an extremely natural one. I mean that between the Right Honourable Baronet and the Noble Lord Stanley, the member for North Lancashire. It is a natural coalition, and it is impromptu. For the Noble Lord informs us he has had not even a notion of taking the part he has until the moment at which he seated himself where he now is. I know his candour. He told us it was a sudden inspiration which induced him to take part against Ireland. I believe it with the most potent faith, because I know that he requires no preparation for voting against the interests of the Irish people. I thank you for that groan. It is just of a piece with the rest. I regret much that I have been thrown upon arguing this particular question, because I should have liked to have dwelt upon the speech which has been so graciously delivered from the throne today. To have gone into its details, and to have pointed out the many great and beneficial alterations and amendments in our existing institutions which it hints at and recommends to the House. The speech of last year was full of reforms in words, and in words only. But this speech contains the great leading features of all the salutary reforms the country wants. And if they are worked out fairly and honestly in detail, I am convinced the country will require no further amelioration of its institutions, and that it will become the envy and admiration of the world. I, therefore, hail the speech with great satisfaction. It has been observed that the object of a king's speech is to say as little in as many words as possible. But this speech contained more things than words. It contains those great principles which, adopted in practice, 
will be most salutary not only to the British Empire but to the world. When speaking of our foreign policy, it rejoices in the cooperation between France and this country, but it abstains from conveying any ministerial approbation of alterations in the domestic laws of that country which aim at the suppression of public liberty and the checking of public discussion, such as calls for individual reprobation, and which I reprobate as much as anyone. I should like to know whether there is a statesman in the country who will get up in this house and avow his approval of such proceedings on the part of the French government. I know it may be done out of the house amid the cheers of an assembly of friends, but the government have, in my opinion, wisely abstained from reprobating such measures in the speech while they have properly exulted in such a union of the two countries as will contribute to the national independence and the public liberty of Europe. Years are coming over me, but my heart is as young and as ready as ever in the service of my country, of which I glory in being the pensionary and the hired advocate. I stand in a situation in which no man ever stood yet, the faithful friend of my country, its servant, its stave, if you will, I speak its sentiments by turns to you and to itself. I require no £20 million on behalf of Ireland. I ask you only for justice. Will you? Can you? I will not say dare you refuse, because that would make you turn the other way. I implore you, as English gentlemen, to take this matter into consideration now, because you never had such an opportunity of conciliating. Experience makes fools wise. You are not fools, but you have yet to be convinced. I cannot forget the year 1825. We begged then as we would for a beggar's boon. We asked for emancipation by all that is sacred amongst us, and I remember how my speech and person were treated on the treasury bench when I had no opportunity of reply. The other place turned us out and sent us back again, but we showed that justice was with us. The noble lord says the other place has declared the same sentiments with himself, but he could not use a worse argument. It is the very reason why we should acquiesce in the measure of reform, for we have no hope from that house. All our hopes are centred in this, and I am the living representative of those hopes. I have no other reason for adhering to the ministry than because they, the chosen representatives of the people of England, are anxiously determined to give the same measure of reform to Ireland as that which England has received. I have not fatigued myself, but the House, in coming forward upon this occasion. I may be laughed and sneered at by those who talk of my power, but what has created it but the injustice that has been done in Ireland? That is the end and the means of the magic, if you please, the groundwork of my influence in Ireland. If you refuse justice to that country, it is a melancholy consideration to me to think that you are adding substantially to that power and influence, while you are wounding my country to its very heart's core. Weakening that throne, the monarch who sits upon which you say you respect, Severing that union which, you say, is bound together by the tightest links and withholding that justice from Ireland which she will not cease to seek till it is obtained. Every man must admit that the course I am taking is the legitimate and proper course. I defy any man to say it is not. 
Condemn me elsewhere as much as you please, but this you must admit. You may taunt the ministry with having coalesced me. You may raise the vulgar cry of Irishmen and Papists against me. You may send out men called ministers of God to slander and calumniate me. They may assume whatever garb they please, but the question comes into this narrow compass. I demand, I respectfully insist, on equal justice for Ireland, on the same principle by which it has been administered to Scotland and England. I will not take less. Refuse me that if you can.